This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode contains mention of Legendborn, The Black Witch Chronicles, Priory of the Orange Tree, Black Widow, Loki, and Star Wars. There is also conversation surrounding incest, misogyny, and child predators. and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing Dune, the 1965 epic sci-fi book that is widely considered the best. It was it was good. I Okay, I'm saying this with a caveat. This book made me feel strange stupid. However, however, I feel like it's important to note because this was, unless you're considering Ice Planet Barbarians, um, this is my first sci-fi book. And it was, you know, I know editor Sam has said, wow, you're just, you just keep giving her these things, jump right in, feet first, no questions. And there was no buildup to it. And I will say, I'm not a, I'm not a Star Trek girl. I'm not a Star Wars girl. I only recently saw Rise of Skywalker in 2019 when it came out. And Laura, because of her love for Adam Driver, she goes, okay, and we're watching these other two. That is literally my familiarity with Star Wars. And I watched each, each one of those once. I just watched them once. So that's my familiarity with sci-fi. So it was really an, an and, and I actually did listen to Laura this time and spacing out how I read this and not feel rushed. And so I was able to take this in. And I'm saying all this at the top of the episode because I think it's important to note that it is good to challenge yourself outside of your genres and to want to learn more and to do something different and that not everything is going to be easy when it comes to reading. So if you are looking for something that's like kind of lighter in your reads, go for it and to each their own. But if you are also at the same time want to challenge yourself and do something different, especially since this movie is coming out, Go for that, too. And that's kind of where we kind of broke this down. And Laura, this is not a first time read with everything for me. Of course, this is a first time read for me. But this is a comfort read for you. You're obviously going to be leading through this. And um, I'm excited to see where like the conversation goes. Yeah. So I knew that this would be kind of difficult for Jessica. So I am incredibly like gratified and happy that you took my advice and, and spread it out the way that you did. I also recommended to Jessica that she listen to the audio so that we could, you know, please all the fanboys as well as we could with the current correct pronunciations of everything. But also the audio experience of this book is absolutely phenomenal. It's on like this next level. And like Jesse said, it's a comfort read. It is a like comfort listen for me because I like 
get into this zone and it puts me in like this kind of meditative state and it's just fantastic. And, um, and we can talk a little bit more about that, but I also recommended to you that you watch the like three minute trailer for the new movie that's coming out to give you some kind of context and visuals. And how do you think that helped you? Yeah, it definitely helped me also because I didn't just watch it once. If I felt like I was reading it and I wasn't, you know, because sometimes I'll read things and I just didn't feel like I was connecting or in the world, I would take a beat and I would take a step back and I would go and watch the trailer again. And I made it a point to watch that trailer specifically as opposed to watching clips of the original Dune. Yeah, the original Dune is um a cult classic obviously and it, it's it like really toes the line between being completely terrible and just like utterly fantastic because the dialogue most of it is pulled straight from the book the cast is phenomenal you got sting you have patrick stewart with hair like what more could you ask for but it is so much to pack into one movie that it's just like in, kind of incomprehensible for somebody that doesn't know anything about Dune. So like I understand, but the new movie looks fantastic. And I think it's really interesting that we talk about it like right up front. The new movie coming out is going to be split into two parts. And the director said that there's a very like specific part where it's very clear in the book where one part ends and the next part begins. So that's very interesting. And I am so incredibly happy that they're splitting it into two parts just so that we can really explore everything that is Dune because there is so much. And I just, I know we talked about this earlier, but like when I was thinking about it, I was like, no, I've got this. Like, like I, I've read Dune. I've listened to Dune like a ton of times. Like I understand. But when I was actually thinking about how to talk it through, I was like, ah, there's so much. And I think we were saying, you know, I'm glad it was a movie. And I didn't know about the two part thing until we like right before we started recording, because I was thinking, how is this? How is this going to be all in one movie? And then I thought, well, is it going to be split up multiple? But that also didn't make sense. Well, at, at the time I go, you know, because in the book, it's part one, part two, part three. But it didn't seem like that transition into three movies for one book i don't know but it did seem like there's so much information there and when you if you if you think about it you say okay if it's going to be one movie what part are they going to take out you really can't take out anything because the entire like it's world building for a reason um and it's necessary it's necessary because you don't it doesn't feel like, you know how some people with world building in their writing, it just feels like filler, but none of this was filler because it all attributed to something else or to another part, either the bigger plot or the smaller subplots or the stories behind the individuals. It was all just very necessary. Incredibly necessary. So I feel like going through the entire plot is just like kind of pointless. There's just too much. So I feel like for this episode, we hit our like high points, the things that we really love. And then at the end, we can talk about the things we really want to see in the movie. But I have a really good way to kick off this episode. And it is a quote from one of my favorite all-time books. So the quote is, you ready, Jess? You'll love this. Of course. Women, how they haunt this tale. 
That is a quote from Bernard Cornwell's Excalibur, talking about all the women in uh, the world of King Arthur. But it is completely applicable here. So, Jess, tell me about the women of Dune. I I was so excited because I feel like... And, and this is just, this is terrible. I'm sorry if this is just a stereotype and I'm acknowledging that ahead of time that when it comes to sci-fi, there is a preconceived notion that it is always and all fanboys and it's heavily dominated by fanboys. And I think we've discussed that maybe in our con life episode about the stigma surrounding comic conventions and so forth. But I love that this book is written in the 60s. The uh, it is a male writer and the women are the, the the they are the lead in this and I don't think anybody sees I, I obviously I say it like anybody and I don't mean, you know, just anybody. Um I just don't think people can see that as they're the leads. They're the storytellers. They kick off this book and they have the final line in this book. I love my name. I resonate with my name. It's fine. But all I knew was, you know, name came from Shakespeare. This book made me so happy and proud to be called Jessica. Lady Jessica is amazing. She is smart. She is I, I don't want to say calculating because calculating has like this negative connotation. She is strategic. She is attuned to everything around her. She sees bigger picture. She, even with her relationship with Leto, 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 yeah. Leto. Okay. I said it right the first time. Even with her relationship with Leto, she knew, she goes, I'm not going to make him marry me because why would I force somebody to do that? But more importantly, as long as we're not married, from a political strategic standpoint, all these other houses and all these other alliances, there there's something else that could be working in their favor, which ultimately works in our favor, which means we are the neck. We are controlling everything. And to these other alliances, nobody knows her relationship. So, and, it, it, and it's this, not even this unspoken thing. They both are thinking of bigger picture. And I really, really respect that. And she even drives it in at the end um, when Paul kind of comes into this role, you know, comes into this role and um, stepping aside with Chaney. But I just, she is, she is so smart. I love her. I love, she's easily my favorite character of this book. And what is she? Oh, well, now she's a reverent mother. But she is a Benny Gesserit. And Benny Benny Gesserit. So I see in your notes that you compared them to like Black oh. Widow and like the the whole like kind of situation. And that's not like wrong. Uh, you know, the Benny Gesserits are women who have all of these abilities and they are part of uh, like a it's a it's a eugenics like breeding program that they they go out and try to um you know, make alliances and get the right genes together because there is like a kind of religious kind of connotation to all of this. But it, it's just, oh, they're so powerful and they sit at the right hand of all the leaders and like the emperor has a Bene Gesserit. And, and uh, because, I mean, they are in power, like the Bene Gesserits are in power. They are a massive like player in in the politics of of 
you know, uh, this entire like universe. But whenever there's a woman in power, there's always somebody that is threatened by that. So Benny Gesserit to a lot of people is like a slur and they call them like Benny Gesserit witches. And I, I just think that's so important because it shows like the insecurity of man looking at like these very powerful women kind of like working everything behind the scenes. And, and I love it. I, I love it. It's, it's great. It's great. And, and let's, and, and part of the Benny Gesserits and is when they are reproducing, I guess they're expected to have a female heir. And this case with Lady Jessica, she loves Leto so much. She has, and that was just me being really overthinking the sci-fi of it all. I go, but you can't choose your your sex. Like, the sex just happens. But this is sci-fi, so I, I had to stop questioning things. And so Leto wants a son. Jessica gives him a son. And we have Paul. And this alone shakes the world because Benny Gesserits aren't supposed to, they're only supposed to have daughters. Right. And Benny Gesserits have lots of powers. They go through lots of training. So one of the powers that they have is they can control their fertility, which is kind of how that goes. They can detect all of the elements in like food and all of the elements in, in like, like liquid and water. And that's how we are able to understand why like reverent mothers can change the water of life into the hallucinogenic drug, like all of that. They change the molecules. They can control every muscle and like fiber of their being. And they have awareness of, of all of themselves. And then they have the voice, which is the, uh, the like influencing pitches and tones of voice so that they can control people. And um, I'm missing a few, but they have some other ones too. And What's important about all of this is that Lady Jessica teaches Paul all of this. So he grows up in like the Bene Gesserit way, which is, you know, never been done before because it's never been, there's never been a son like to do this. And that is like, that's kind of the background on like Lady Jessica and Paul going into, um, you know, his and Paul's like whole storyline, um, but I, but I love, I love the world of Dune because it is like so politic heavy and, you know, the men are in the politics and everything, but the women are controlling everything kind of behind the scenes. And it's just fantastic. Is it that, you know, with the slurs and everything and maybe different fan communities, is it the same? Oh my gosh, women, you know, how we're saying like women are behind the scenes and God forbid a woman in power. I mean, look at all the negative criticisms that came with Black Widow. I know you haven't watched it yet, but we had individual discussions that were spoiler free that felt like if you retold the story without without women casted it and male and males were in the role, people would have loved it. Yeah. And I mean, the people who love it now, I mean, I, I'm not saying people don't love it now, but the, the criticism that it's receiving is really based because call it what it is, you're being misogynistic and you don't appreciate or respect a woman in power. That makes sense to me. I hope it makes sense to others. I mean, like that makes total sense to me. And I love that in this 1965 sci-fi novel, we we have we are able to have discussions like this. Because 
I, again, because this is me, Laura Marie on Reddit, um, people <laughs> on Reddit are not having these conversations. They're having conversations about, is Paul a white savior? Is this, you know, fantasy? Is this sci-fi? Is this about the dangers of terraforming? It, like what they are, people on Reddit are going that angle. But like you and I immediately recognize like, the the feminism like the women of this and and i feel like we have i mean like we i'm sure other people somewhere have had this conversation but like we have this like new fresh perspective and i'm so interested to see on how that translates into the new movie because it is kind of there too in the original movie so it is all it is all just very interesting but well um, and also the fact that it's like we go back to it is written in the 1960s and this is the conversation that was just starting, you know, like, and, and it's, it's, and here we are in 2021 being able to have that conversation because it's, it's still very applicable. Like we haven't, we haven't come that far, people. So going through the entire plot, as we said, is just going to be ridiculous because there is so much. So let's hit some highlights. Um, I'll start. One of my favorite scenes is the Gomjabar testing scene with um, uh, the Reverend Mother Helen and Paul with Jessica there. I love that scene. And something that I really like about this book and the audio experience of this book is that we have a male, very classically trained, like male narrator that is like standard. But in the big scenes, the really big scenes, we have a full cast of people and, and there's music and there's tension and, and it, and it's just, it's just so incredibly wonderful. So in the testing with the Reverend Mother, Nagam Jabbar, there is a full cast. There's Paul, there's the Reverend Mother, there's Jessica, and they're all interacting. They all have their own voices and there is music there that builds up tension and the first time I listened to it, I was like, why am I so tense? Like, what is this? What is this? And I didn't even recognize that there was music there. And it was just, it's just so, so good. And and I love it. The Reverend Mother is like, this is a test to see if you're human. You know, the Gamjabar kills animals, but like, we're going to go through this. And it, it just, it, it's like a touch of the mystical because the box, you know, is like nerve induction, but that is science. It just, I love it. I love it so much. Uh, about the audio, I will say, because there were, I, I would go in and out because I, I was listening to the audio the entire time, but I was also back and forth with the book itself to follow along. And I did that because I wanted to just recognize certain words and just kind of let it seep in some more. But the, the way the audio is, it's not word for word with the book as opposed to typical audible books where it is word for word. I mean, if there's a conversation being held, the the interjections of he said, she continued, that's omitted in this particular audio. And to, to further on what you were saying with the building and the music and the full cast, it reminds me of maybe stories that we heard growing up about people who didn't have television like back in the day. So they had those epic radio shows like radio shows that like and tune in next week for the continuation of that's what this kind of the way it was delivered in a beautiful way in a 
beautiful way. I feel like I, I like I, I don't. We said it. I don't know if I said it on the podcast already. When the movie comes out, I really look forward to going back and having more visuals because even with the trailer already, there were parts where I go, "That's this part." That's you just knew where they were in the book and certain scenes of the trailer. But now that I know that it's really only part one, essentially, we're we're gonna wait to see what happens. And I think um, just jumping back for a second. Each chapter, like there aren't like chapters, like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. Each chapter kind of is um, started off by the Princess Irulan uh, talking. And, and in the audio, Princess Irulan is her own character. She has her own music. And, you know, it's it's a, it's another like female that's doing it that isn't part of like the regular cast. And she does all of the um like sayings of Moadib and the books that it comes from and like his ponderings and things. So I love that that is kind of so like we don't even realize who she is really until the very end of this book and then knowing that she was kind of kind of like the omnipresent narrator through this whole thing it is just fantastic. And again, just like another woman like coming in and and just laying the groundwork for everything and her breaking everything up into chapters and kind kind of um, helped me the first time I read this through. I was like, okay, this is a chapter. This this is, you know, the break. Like, uh, uh, okay, okay. Because uh, her voice is very distinct. Like her music is very specific. And it's just, it's just another example of this audio experience is above and beyond other audio experiences. I mean, I can I can go on, but it absolutely is. I I have nothing to add to it, but yes. So um, I talked about the Gomjabar and the testing being something that really stood out to me. What's something that really stood out to you? Um, I'm trying to think of like something specific. I like well the quote that I'm immediately thinking of, and I think it probably was one of my favorite, if not my favorite, quote in this book. Um, is you must teach me someday how you do that, he said, the way you thrust your worries aside and turn to, pol- to practical matters. It must be a Benny Gesserit thing. And the person who said this, he said it in such disdain and dismissiveness. And Lady Jessica immediately says, no, it's a female thing. And I think that just sets the precedence for every female in this book and in life that when push comes to shove, we can put our shit aside and we know what needs to get done. And I think that is also an overarching theme in this book, you know, and it said right at the beginning. And I think that that that's really like one of my favorite moments because it also elevates Lady Jessica into this role if you haven't put her there already. Something else about Lady Jessica that I really like in a scene that I really like that isn't really talked about much and I didn't I didn't see it in anything that I read is so the Atreides are coming to Arrakis called Dune uh, to take over for the Harkonnens in a like big overarching plot from the Emperor right it's all it's all politics and the Atreides and the Harkonnens are like mortal deadly enemies they hate each other they want to murder each other um when Lady Jessica gets to Arakeen, the city, and she's in the palace, she finds like a locked door. And behind that door is this beautiful like greenhouse of plants and water. 
which is important because Dune is a desert planet. There is no water. There is no rain. Uh, you know, everyone is in still suits to to filter and like reclaim their own like body's water. It's even ho- when she cried that mm-hmm. when she found out Leto died, it was just one tear. She was just like, "Well, that that was a waste of moisture." <laughs> yeah. Or when somebody bleeds, they're like, "This is this is a waste of fluids. We don't have any. Why are we being so frivolous with with, with how yeah. we're, we're we're yeah." <laughs> So the fact that in the palace there is this greenhouse room is, is just kind of I think it speaks to like the excess of the Harkonnens and like how they, you know, they had they have this and uh, Lady Jessica says like later on to the Fremen like no we will hold that in trust for you um, because one of the other like overarching plots of this is like the dream. Like people being motivated by a dream and a prophecy and like the religion, we'll get into that, but um, to terraform Dune to make it like hospitable for everybody. So um, the part that I really like about this is that Jessica goes in there and she kind of sees something in the greenhouse that doesn't quite make sense. And she starts to feel around on the leaves um, because she realizes that the other Bene Gesserit that was there with the Harkonnens, who was a Bene Gesserit in disguise left her a warning and and i and i love that it's like these this sisterhood is is taking care of each other so she she gets this warning and um you know she's like oh there's like a trap here you know and like mapes is this whole thing but it's it's this really like subtle scene where she's in this room surrounded by like the excess of water and and she gets this message and it's just it's really lovely it's really it's really lovely (laughs) Well, and then about that, I mean, part of the book, it will not even part of the book, part one of the book uh, is they find out that there's this there's this plan, right? The oh, what am I trying to say? Hold on. It's so complicated. It's so complicated. <laughs> Basically, they find out that. They're trying to kill the Atreides, the Harkonnens, Harkonnens, and but the Atreides find out and have to act like they don't know. So it's like, oh, we're, we we know maybe we can beat the system. That's basically how they're they're looking at this situation. So you can't beat me if I already know. You don't know that I know that the, that whole dialogue. So eventually, Leto dies. He's killed, which shocked. I was, man, Yui, I was kind of like, there's something there. I felt like Lady Jessica. I go, I, I'm on to you. There's something, but I don't know what it is, but I, I'm watching you. And then he's involved and the Baron's involved. And then the tooth. And then when the tooth thing, I go, wait, he doesn't die just yet. I, I freaked out over nothing. But then he does because then I realized the second he eats anything, he's he's dying. But Jessica and Paul get away because of the help of you. Like, he goes, I know that ever, I know what my name is going to look like going down in history. However, I still, like, these are my people. And I go, oh, so he was kind of good the whole time. But he also had an ulterior motive. I don't know. I don't know if he was good. I don't know if he was just, like, bigger picture. It really wasn't, it it didn't feel like the self-sacrifice. But there was just a lot of things happening in that moment where I go, I feel like I've missed something. <laughs> well, and and the whole thing with Huey is that he is a, 
imperial conditioned like doctor, right? So they're not supposed to be able to like overcome their conditioning. And like, that's why it was so surprising. And, you know, he'd been with everybody for so long, but his wife was killed by the Harkonnen. So like he had this, this like deep seated hatred for the Harkonnens and like he needed to kill them. And the only way that he thought that he could do that was, you know, by hatching this whole plot and turning traitor. Like that's, that's the thing that I really love about this book is that everybody is so like multi-layered. There's so much to everybody. It's not just like a standard, like, like one dimensional book. Like everybody is so incredibly deep And I feel like that is one of the things that maybe turns people off from this book or like intimidates them about this book because there is such like kind of an aura of, you know, this isn't easy. This is really going to make you think. But I feel like that is um, one of its like greatest things is that when you get into it, it does give you this like perspective on things. And um so I was talking to editor Sam about this and he was like, you know, when Paul goes on those like 50 page drug trips, I was just like, oh, <laughs> God, I was like, yeah, but in but because he read it, he didn't listen to the audio. I was like, but in the audio, you you get all you get all of this and you, you get, um, you know, his inflection and his tone and his thoughts. And, and it isn't something that you skip because the way that it's presented to you, you're like, huh. That's really fucking deep. Right. Right. And, you know, it's funny because one of the notes that I put was like lots of politics, the alliances, the world building, like the depth. I can see why this is right up your alley. Like I was picking this up. I go, this is totally if if you hadn't read this and I was just reading this for like a, a classroom assignment or something, I would say this is Laura's shit. And she needs to read this if she hasn't already. I mean, I obviously you have, but it was just something that's totally um, draws you in. And I think it's important to what you said is it makes you think. And again, this goes to like what I had mentioned at the beginning of the episode. If you want something lighter that you don't really need to focus on or don't really want to like, stim- I, I, I see this because it's going to sound crappy. If you want something that's intellectually stimulating and thought provoking absolutely this if you're not looking for that in your reading or like you know like i think i said i go i'm i'm gonna do after this read i want some lighter lighter things um it it just it's good it's good this aligns with in, in a different way the black witch chronicles where i go that makes you think and that's and that's more or less a quote unquote light read but it's heavy topic this is this is both this is both this is both so when we're recording this, uh, Loki has just finished up its season finale. And I love Loki. It's, it's really fantastic. But Loki is all about his glorious purpose. And Paul is all about his terrible purpose. And that is the only thing that I could keep thinking. I was like, did, did they, did they pull it from here? Like, but no, cause like the comics, but like, but also, they talk about the time nexus in this book. And I go, what up, TVA? Like, I just felt like, is this, you know, that TikTok where the TVA just makes an appearance in whatever you're doing? That's what I felt like in this moment. I go, the TVA just showed up. It's like, oh, no. Oh, no. They're going to get me. They're gonna... Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, Paul Paul talks about, um, so Paul, so, okay. Okay. Backing up. 
Oh, there's so much. There's so much. <laughs> there's, there's so much. So one of the things that they talk about on Reddit is that this is like a coming of age story for Paul because Paul starts out, you know, 15 and then he ends when he's like 18 and uh, he's like growing up and like coming into his own and and realizing like who he is, what he represents and, and everything. And he goes on this like deeply spiritual kind of journey. But he's also like like a superhuman in a way, like he's the product of eugenics. He has all of these capabilities. And when he is in the desert and he's exposed to all of that spice, he um, his abilities are like magnified. Right. Mm-hmm. So Paul. Uh, Paul and his terrible purpose is, is just so fantastic because it goes back to the Bene Gesserits. And I have it. I have it. The Missionera Protectiva which is just so, so fantastic. So, oh, did, did you, do you, like, are you, do you remember this, the Missionera Projectiva? I remember the word, but I remember basically that he was part of the prophecy of that other word that I can't pronounce that began with an H, ha, H-Z. Cusack Haderach? Yes. Yes, because he was this male prophecy coming from the Bene Gesserit woman. And now he's has all this power because he keeps, you know, getting high on spice. And, you know, initially, I don't know why I had to differentiate. I go, is, is spice like like a spice cabinet or spice? Another word for magic, like I'm thinking of legendary when they just called magic root so but then i realized no spice is an actual object because the only place that you could find spice is arrakis and laura i was saying ago if you think about it from a political standpoint it's everybody needs it everybody wants it and everybody's fighting over it it's a comparison to oil right and i have read some things that said chome the chome company is basically like opec so they are, uh, so that, that's the like comparison there. So they are the controllers of like who gets the, like who gets what amount of spice when and spice, you know, the spice must flow. That is, that is the whole thing about this book. Like the spice must flow. And the only place that you can get spice is Arrakis and it can't be replicated. And, you know, this, the, the guild, the space guild, is addicted to spice. That's how they're able to bend space and, and do transport. And, you know, spice gives you, you know, abilities and it gives you long like life and it, it, it does all these things. Um, so I am looking and if I'm going back to my notes. So we have um, the Lizan al-Gayib, which is the Fremen term for an off-world prophet. And that goes into um, the Mahdi, which is the name used by the Fremen to describe their savior in their messianic legend. And the messianic legend was put there by the Missionera Protectiva, which is the Bene Gesserits. And I have here, uh, Lady Jessica noted that the Mahdi legend's presence on Arrakis was an indication of just how awful the conditions on Arrakis were, since it was reserved only for those cultures where a Bene Gesserit would need absolute control over the population. So, 
I know there's so much. So the Benny Gesserits have agents out there that go to worlds and implant in the local cultures a prophecy that when a Benny when another Benny Gesserit comes and they hear certain words, it like you know makes the connections to them, and then they are able to manipulate that culture and that religion and that prophecy to best serve like their needs and like the situation. And it just so happens that everything aligned that Paul fits Sparks. this. Yeah, it Paul fits prophecy. this prophecy perfectly. Perfectly. And let's see, I'm going back to my notes. I have such I have such notes. So uh, Paul, I think I think this is just like the barest description of Paul. Paul turns out to be the product of a eugenics program that imbues him with immense precognitive abilities that allow him to bend the galaxy to its will. So, um, and then with the spice that is amplified and he becomes like psychic and he can see the past and the present and the future. Future. And he even starts con- like confusing it because uh, with seeing new people he goes i know that person but he wouldn't and then he would go to his mother he goes do you is that person supposed to be familiar to me and that's when he started making the connections of uh like i feel like that's also when he started making connections of this psychic ability of his of him thinking oh oh that's that's why i know that person you know especially if it was from the future and that's when he was like oh wait if he's from the future, that means this is going to happen. But he's, you know, all this is lining up and he has like this cult following by this point. And not not just a cult following, but one of the like one of the moments like um, it's one of my favorite moments, but it's towards the end when Paul is with Stilgar and, um, you know, Stilgar starts to obey everything he says like instantly. And he looks at Paul with like awe and Paul feels like this overwhelming like loneliness. He's like, I lost my friend. And now he's this creature that just follows me like basically on faith. He's like, but you knew me before. But now my legend is such that he is blinded. And now he sees me just as this like this this like figure. And that that's one of my favorite like introspective moments for Paul where he's just like, shit because he even has these moments of like it's it's like paul can see the future he he knows what's going to happen and he is like actively trying to like not like fight against his destiny right because he sees his terrible purpose in like the jihad and like everyone's going to follow him and 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 you know like oh oh it's so incredibly complicated but like i feel bad for paul but he's also, and we didn't even like point this out, but like he also had like mentat training too. So his mind works like differently than everybody else's. But on the, like he is just a kid, right? Yeah. Well, when he told, when he found out about the mentat, he, he was 15. And at first he, he was like, I, that, that's not me. That's, and he's, he's that old soul 15 right because everybody especially in the beginning of the book they talk about how he's a boy he's 15 he's a lad but then there are certain circumstances where he kind of comes into his own and realizes he he's a man in those moments because he has to be moving forward especially after um the interaction with the gom jabbar 
Exactly. And um, right before he has the the test with the gum jabar, he has like visions of like Cheney. And so when he sees Cheney later on, he's like, I know you. I've seen you. And and that that is kind of like connecting like his past and his like present and future. And oh, my gosh. And well, that made me it, it, this is going to sound so nerdy. So I'm reading the book. Right. And then I'm watching the trailer and I'm going back and forth. And I go then I start thinking, I go, what if the trailer isn't like we're not seeing Zendaya and especially now that I know the part two thing. What if the Zendaya that Zendaya that we're seeing now isn't where we're being, where where we're going to be left off in the movie. All hit, all these interactions with her are all the future that we're seeing in the present that he's flashing back and forth to. I, <laughs> the, like when that connection, when I made that connection in the reading, that's what I started thinking of the trailer. I go, what if, what if we're not seeing her? What if these are all just like flash forwards and flashbacks? And um, speaking of like flash forwards and flashbacks, so Paul has many names throughout this. He has Usu and he has uh, Moadib and Moadib becomes like the, the, a battle cry, a battle cry. And when everything kind of like solidifies for Paul is um, when he defeats Jameson and he's like part of the tribe now and he's responsible for Hera and the kids and he's got Cheney and, you know, everything's starting to fall into place for him. And they were like, what do you want your like name to be? And he he's like, what is the name of the mouse? Because the mouse is like one of the first animals that he saw. And this is whole thing. And Stilgar says like, oh, that's Moadib. <gasps> is that why there's a mouse in the trailer? Why did I just... Why did I just... <laughs> oh, I'm such a... Uh... No, no. It's difficult. This is a difficult book, but but like so even talking through it, I know I'll be able to go back and be like, uh, there's just it's another. It reminds me of how Priory is, where you go through it and then you make the connections again, and then you could go back through it, and then you go, that's that's this that's happening. I don't know. I like it though, not in a bad way. Like this, like gets me even more hyped. So actually, uh, one of my favorite like throwaway lines that isn't talked about at all um, is when. Jessica is undergoing her transition to um uh what is she what is she she's a reverent mother Re- oh yeah yeah and so she takes the the water of life and she has to um filter out the poison by using her Benny Gesserit capabilities and she's talking in her mind to the old reverent mother and they're having this like conversation and like she's pregnant at the time, and like they say, like your baby is going to be different. She might go insane. She's going to have all these things. But then it's one line. The old reverent mother says, let them have their orgy. They have little enough um, joy. And you're like, oh, so they all are going to take this changed water of life, which is a hallucinogenic drug, and they're going to have a mass orgy. <laughs> Oh, because they always talk about like the cohesiveness of the tribe and like they're all together and they have this like connection. It's like, huh. And then they say very specifically that like Paul holds himself back from that. Like Paul doesn't um, participate in that, you know, during the ceremonies because he like holds himself apart. And it's just like, 
Well, we're not going to elaborate on this, but they don't. <laughs> they don't. It's just like one sentence. It's like, okay. Who knows? Hollywood might change that. Ah, who knows? But yeah, it's, it's just like one of those really interesting things. Um, something, one of my other favorite scenes is when Paul rides the worm. Oh my gosh. Oh my Not gosh. Not a euphemism. Not a euphemism. Like, <laughs> He literally, so, okay, so we haven't really talked about, like, the Fremen and, like, what they are, but, like, a Fremen, right. uh, the Fremen are, like, the native inhabitants of Dune, and there's there's this whole subplot with um, Salusa, uh, uh, Sarkundus, and, like, the Emperor's prison planet, and, like, the Sardaukar that come from there are the elite warriors, and, like, they're trained on the planet, and it's, like, very difficult, and, like, Arrakis is kind of the same, so, like, the Emperor has his... Um, highly trained army that lives on a prison planet with incredibly harsh traditions and, and environmental, you know, like obstacles. And then Paul on Arrakis has basically the same thing. He has a highly trained, highly motivated population at his fingers that are like hidden from the rest of the world. They, the rest of the world has no idea about the numbers. And um, the Fremen are like, primed for a savior right and paul fits all you know he ticks all the boxes and and paul in his terrible purpose wants to like rise up and defeat uh the emperor and the harkonnen and and, and all of this so it's it's like there's two these these two parallels you know fighting against each other and one of the like characteristics of fremen besides like the spice blue eyes and, um, you know, the still suits in the water and everything and their, their overarching goal of trying to terraform, and that's Dr. Kynes, trying to terraform Dune, is they ride worms. But it happens, like, deep out in the desert and there aren't, like, thopters and, like, things that go out there to see it. So just, like, the imagery, like, Paul calls up and, and they say, like, 12-year-olds do this. Like, it, it's part of your, like, introduction into the tribe. Like, 12-year-olds ride the worms. And Paul, I think, is, like, 16 when they do this. So, um, Paul puts well, the—oh, go ahead. And and I was going to say, like, these worms, I feel like if, if anybody's listening, when we saw the trailer, even though we had joked about it, like, we had to force ourselves in not thinking about the Beetlejuice worm as the Mittengar worm, seeing these worms is exactly how I imagine the Mittengard worm would be. And I think it's important to note that the worms and the spice have a symbiotic relationship because the spice, you can't kill the worms because if you kill the worms, the spice isn't going to exist. And, you know, the spice doesn't exist without the worms. So it's kind of like the worms are protecting it, but allowing it to cultivate and be there. So that's kind of how I also process the the Fremen were they had to find a way to they had to find a way to work to have some sort of relationship with the worms so that way everything can just keep existing you know in a way um th- that was the only thing i wanted to to point out if whoever is listening continue um so in, in this like one of my favorite scenes like paul calls a worm there's there's like a way to call the worms because you can't walk across the desert because if you walk in like just like a normal way, any vibrations will bring the worm, right? So you have to walk. It's like step, step, slide, step, slide. It's like this whole way that you go across the desert. But Paul puts down like a thumper, which is something that literally goes like lump, lump, lump and calls a worm. 
And Stilgar is there. He's like, this is the biggest fucking worm we've ever seen. Like, uh, it's like a great, great, it's like a great grandmother. I, I don't know. It's a giant worm. It's like one of the biggest ones they've ever seen. It's an old worm. And, and Paul, you know, puts the hooks and he like crawls up the worm. He opens the segments and he's riding this worm. And all I can think of is like Timothy Chalamet in his still suit, <laughs> like crawling up the side of this worm and just like owning it. Right. And then like got the reins on this giant fucking worm because in the trailer you see a giant worm and mm-hmm. it's, it's huge. And I just can't wait to see that. It's one of my favorite moments. It's just, and then, and then, um, like all of the other Fremen that are with him and like Chaney and Stilgar, they all get up on the worm together. And it's like this whole like group of them riding this worm. And it's just so freaking cool. And, That's and like, cool. and like unique, you know, cause like there's sandworms and like other places, obviously. And like my mind just immediately goes to Beetlejuice, but like here, it, it's just so cool. And I feel like. Because everything's getting like remade and obviously like this is a remake too, but it's, it's like the technology has caught up with the vision. And I feel like that's something, um, you know, that sci-fi really struggles with is like, just like you, you have this vision, but you can't make it happen because the tools don't exist yet. And the tools exist now. Well, and I, George Lucas is even known to say that with certain parts of, um, the Star Wars saga um is that there's a reason why the the movies came out that came out in the 70s came out in the 70s and the reason you know his order he had this whole thing mapped out but how it was released he even knew what he was envisioning for certain parts of the saga the technology wasn't there and he didn't want it to look cheap either and i feel as if Dune, that original movie, I was texting you yesterday. I said this, or maybe the day before, I go, the technology wasn't there. Like, you're watching it, and the story's there, obviously, because they're pulling directly from the book. Like, it doesn't even feel like a a rewrite, you know, like a screenplay kind of thing, Um, is that the technology just wasn't there. And I'm really... You were were showing me the Gomtavar scene, and I go... The way his hand peels, that, you know, that special effects makeup has come a long way since then. <laughs> um, it, it was, you know, you could have gone to, to Spirit Halloween and gotten the same effect. Uh, but I digress. But I just, I, I really appreciate that because where we are with special effects and CGI and visual effects, that I feel that this Dune, the movie that will be coming out, might give the book the justice it needs, especially when we're in a world of, you know, how many different parts of Star Wars exist aside from the movies. Then you have, you know, the Clone Wars and the the Bad Batch and you have all these other, you know, side stories going on in the similar universe. The same is going to be happening with Dune, which you even looked into and found out that there's going to be a Benny Jesuit TV series. So I'm, that that's even to, to build on top of this movie. And I, I, I'm that, you know, sign me right up. Yeah. It's, it's just, uh, it's just so incredibly exciting. It's so incredibly exciting. Um, okay. I, I'm trying to think like, there's just, yeah, there, I'm just trying to think like, there's no way to go through the plot, but 
Um, I think another one of my like favorite moments, if we're just talking about highlights, is the very end. Like the last maybe like 50 pages or so with like the, you know, the battle and you have the you have um, like Gurney, you, you know, Gurney is reunited with Paul. And then we have. Um, uh, oh, what's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Thufir. You've got Thufir. Thufir is back. You know, the Mentat, like he's reunited with Paul at the very end when they all come back into Erekin with the Emperor. And you have this this like one on one battle with Thade Ralpha. We haven't really even talked about um, uh, the the Baron, but we should. And um, so one of my favorite scenes is like that whole situation where Paul is just like, you know, you're my bitch. You're my bitch. You're my bitch. (laughs) You know, I own all of you. You know, I will destroy the spice. And something that I really, really loved in the book is that um, the the two representatives of the Space Guild is there. And the Space Guild is like this whole other like subplot. But um uh, it is revealed to everybody in that scene that one of the space guilders has lost their like colored contact and he has his hand over his eye and he gets, he gets like distracted and he puts his hand down and his eye is the blue of the spice because the spice is what fuels space travel. It's what allows, the, um, the, the, the space guild to, um, fold space and like have all of this transportation. So like that is, ugh, that, that is this whole, it's this whole freaking thing, man. And and I love that. And and I also love that, like, there we have Princess Irulan. And, like, she's there. Um, I, I, I love that. And even before what's that, that. What's that scene? I mean, it's it's in the last 50 pages because it's towards the end. Um, and maybe it, it, it is like, you're my bitch, you're my bitch. Where the, the one Benny Jesuit who is a, I don't. I don't know which one, but she's trying to say something to Paul and Paul silences her. And she like the dramatics in the in the her falling into the crowd. I don't know. I love that scene. But it's taking ownership of who he's grown into up until this point. And um, so, you know, another really great scene is his we haven't even talked about his sister, Aaliyah. Aaliyah. You know, Aaliyah, she starts off as like two and she's and everyone is scared of her. And then, you know, they realize that she's a reverent mother. And then she I think she's like four by the time they meet the emperor. And she kills the Baron. She kills the Baron with the Gom Jabbar. And, and I love that. And I love how the book describes her as like sitting on the dais next to the emperor, like kicking her feet. And the reverent mother is terrified of her saying, like, you need to die. Like, kill her, kill her. She's an abomination. Over and over and over again, which is what um, the Reverend Mother said could happen when Jessica was changing um, the water of life when she was pregnant with Aaliyah. But Aaliyah kills the Baron. And Jess, what what do we feel about Baron Vladimir Harkonnen? I I like the person who did his audio. He reminded, I don't know, it was so calming. He was so good. And... It was, it really reminded me of Mufasa. I know that's something, it was just that that calm voice. Um, And Laura, you had also brought up that Stellan Skarsgård is going to be the Baron in this. He's, I will say he's intimidating. I mean, he should be. He has all these feelers out to, he has his own ulterior motive. 
ugh, Stellan Skarsgård is going to destroy this role. He's just going to eat it up. Oh my god, it's, it's he's going to be just fantastic. Um, yeah, the Baron is he's a scary villain, right? Like he um, is a child predator. He prefers boys, which is like you know that's like not the thing. The thing is that he likes everyone young, and so he's a child predator. He is. Um, uh, there's incest here. He has relations with at least one of his nephews. He is uh, monstrously fat. They say he can't support his own weight, so he has to use the suspensors, which, like, um, float him, you know, above the ground. He has a baby, like, cherub face. He's always eating and drinking. He has, like, an insatiable hunger. Um, and, and he's he's smart. He, he you know, he plays the game. He he knows what he's doing, and yeah, he's terrifying. And and as you said, the voice in the audiobook is just like oh, I just cannot stop raving about the audiobook. It it's so good, and the voice is so deep, and like, oh, it's fantastic. I think he's a great villain, and I love that Aliyah's the one to murder him, and and with the Gomjabar too. It's like you're not a human; you're an animal, and and you know you just put him down. And it's, oh, it's so good. It's so good. I, I love it. I love it so much. Um, and I think we should mention that the the Baron is Aaliyah and Paul's grandfather because of the, the Benny Gesserit eugenics program. They're all like interbred and all of the houses and because of the eugenics program, all of the houses are basically interbred too. So like um, Jessica is the daughter of the Baron. So that's Paul and Aaliyah's grandfather. And Duke Leto is the cousin of the emperor. So it's all this very, like, tangled web that's there. And um, that was one of the main points that the author made about, like, um, the the Star Wars comparison. He was like, you know, he's he's got it too. Like, you know, he's Luke's father or whatever. But like, here their grandfather, and it's like it's different. And like, mine came first, and it's this whole thing. Was there criticism? I mean, I guess the scout coincides with. Um, there has been criticism that Dune was probably copying, quote unquote, off of Star Wars, whereas Star Wars is cinematic. It didn't start off as a book. So how can you know, like, this is a perfect example. Not only did the book come first, that just because the the Dune movie didn't come first doesn't mean that Star Wars, it, it's not a chicken or the egg thing. Like, Dune, it is, there is a publication date, which means it was established before it was published because he needed his rights to be copyrighted. Yeah, it's it's this whole thing. I know that he was very angry about the comparisons. And, like, rightly so, you know? Like, you don't want, like, this thing that you've been working on for six years prior to its first publication, I think, in 63. Like, damn, damn. Um, something that I wanted to point out that I don't think anyone really talks about is that there are no computers, really, in this book. Because um, oh, yeah. there, there's, like, a whole backstory about another jihad. And um, so I, I have it here. It's, like... Um, there's a the society is neo feudal, and it's forestalled the rise of dangerous artificial intelligence intelligences by banning computers and replacing them with human beings conditioned with parapsychological disciplines that allow them to perform at the same level 
as machines, and that is because th- that makes sense because there's certain there's oh, I can't think of it like right off the top of my head, but there are points in the book where there would be a person who is interacting with somebody else, and that individual stops to says to to compute something to say, oh, this person is mourning. This needs to be like they're going through their quote unquote like mental catalog to to elicit the correct proper emotional response i can't remember but i that happens throughout the book of how they have to oh this is the the way the person's response is this needs to be like like a cause and effect like they are the, the human is the computer but that's also like why they you say like your brain is the computer of your body i remember that i was told that growing up you need to like strengthen your brain that is your computer you know especially when we grew up in that transition of going from not having that type of technology to all of a sudden it's at our fingertips right and like the the mentats with the red stained lips because they drink the juice is um part of that like they are kind of computers and they need all of the like correct information to like you know put like a logical output and like that so like that's all part of it I find it very interesting because it is very comparable to like Battlestar Galactica and, um, you know, Battlestar Galactica is like one of my true loves. And in Battlestar Galactica, the robots are able to infiltrate all of the new technology and destroy like absolutely everything. And the only reason that people survive is because they were on just by coincidence, very old school like ships and stuff that have like rudimentary kind of technology and the robots were not able to like infiltrate that. So I, I, I find it very interesting. Be like when AI is taking over, I, everybody makes fun of me, but when I ask my Alexa to have like help me with something, I always say please. And I always say thank you because when, when there's an AI uprising, I want them to look at me and they go, Oh, but she was nice. She was, she used her manners. That's all I ask. Like, it, it's so true, though. It's so true. And um, so if you go on the Dune, like, fandom, like, wiki and stuff, and, you know, I encourage everybody to do that. It's incredibly helpful. Uh, there is a backstory about, like, um, you know, suffer, suffer no computer to, like, take over the intelligence of the mind. There is, like, a like a prophecy type, um, like, mandate there. And, like, that is the basis on, like, kind of which... Uh, Dune starts where there are, there are Mentats. So it's like Mentats and the Bene Gesserit and the Space Guild are like the triangle, right? And like Tome is the overarching kind of umbrella over all of that. And then um, below the triangle is like the Emperor and then all of the great houses. And like they're all fighting with each other. They're all fighting with each other. And it, it's just – it's so interesting. It's such a good play on politics. Um Let's talk about the end of this and how it kind of stops because I know you were like it stops. It just it just felt very abrupt. But it also feels like it was a great an abrupt closure, but you could also see where it can go and you even asked me, you go, "Did I um look into the next books of what's to happen next?" And I hadn't. And you had said it's crazy. and But at the end of the book, everyone's kind of looking at Paul like, okay, dude, what what's next? What, where are we going with this? And Lady Jessica's like, I want to go to Caladan, which I thought it was really nice because that is like something that she had always wanted to go to with Leto. And she goes, I need like, I need some 
mental space right now from all the shit we just went through. And then you have Cheney, who, and you have Princess Erlon, who all these political relationships are basically, you're, you're, you're tying everything up and like a pretty little bow at the end of this book, but also setting it up for the next one. And I totally see that. But the last line that Lady Jessica says to Cheney, because Cheney's like, I don't want a title. I just, I just want to be with Paul. Like I love him. And Paul says, yeah, I'm not marrying you, but you could be my concubine. And of course, I think to anybody else, that's just kind of a slap in the face because he's going to be with Princess Erlon. But if you've been following along the women in this book the whole time, it is bigger picture. He goes, that is who on paper for alliances and political reasons, that's who I'm going to be with. But even Lady Jessica goes, then you don't know my son that's that's all it is on paper, but you are going to be the one that he loves and you're going to be the one who bears his children. And let's remember, I mean, they they're, they did have a child and the child died through this the, the, the war and the violence of everything leading up until this point. Who So they've already they've already have this relationship established. And Lady Jessica says, do you know so little of my son? Jessica whispered. See that princess standing there, so haughty and confident? They say she has pretensions of a literary nature. Let us hope she finds solace in such things. She'll have little else. A bitter laugh escaped Jessica. Think on it, Channy. That princess will have the name, yet she'll live as less than a concubine. Never to know a moment of tenderness from the man to whom she's bound to. While we, Channy, we who carry that name concubine history will call us wives and i and that's just, that's just how it ends that's how it ends but from the beginning of the book you knew how strong and powerful lady jessica was with her relationship with leto and you knew how leto felt the same way and essentially paul said a similar speech in claiming that like you are going to be who i love and you are going to be the bear you are going to be my concubine and that's what Lady Jessica was. She was, for all intents and purposes, she was the Duchess and everybody saw her as such also. She's known in history as that. And and I, you see where it's set up. And, you know, women, women. Women. Ugh, women. So it's set up as um, Paul will be the emperor now. He is legitimized by his marriage now to Princess Irulan. And that that's like how that ends. And I have a little excerpt here. Uh, just about like kind of an analysis. And it's like, Paul Atreides is full of terrible purpose and he's releasing an endless war across the cosmos. He comes to accept this, but Paul's great power ends certain feuds and old ways, but he will replace it with more violence and more pain. The only thing celebratory here is the end of stagnation, as he puts it. Humanity will move forward and that will be more brutal and full of suffering. So, Paul has this army of Fremen who believe him, who believe in him and his vision of terraforming. And they're going to like go out with, you know, Paul's terrible purpose and kind of like form the jihad. They're, 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 it's this whole, it's this whole thing, right? So people say like, is Paul a white savior? Well, first of all, uh, uh, Duke Leto Atreides is, said to have olive skin. So if we're going just by like that definition, though, you know, maybe not. But is he like a white savior? I would say like 
No, because he he like manipulated these people based on, you know, the the um, the prophecy that was already there, used them for his own personal like vendetta. And then when they become like rabid in like adoration and like belief in him, the the like jihad is set on. So like he didn't. I don't feel like he saved, saved anybody. Them. Yeah. And, you know, the, the goal of like terraforming Arrakis is, is like, you know, it's, it's a good goal. It's the thing that was implanted there, you know, and kinds kind of like stoked the, the, the fever for that. But like, are they saved? I, I don't feel like they're saved. So I think that's just my like, you know, quick. They don't feel saved from anything either. Yeah. Like, like there, there's, there's, Nothing has come to it. I just feel like not, there, there was nothing accomplished. I mean, obviously the Harkonnen, uh, the Harkonnen, but that that was that was Paul's goal. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's just very interesting. And people, you know, as I said earlier on Reddit, like people go off about this kind of stuff. But like, woo, buddy, woo, buddy. But that's not what we're here for. We're here for the women and the women, <laughs> the women. How they define this tale. It is just, they are unstoppable. So let's end this, because I know we're running, you know, kind of long. Let's end this with some speculation about the movie and some kind of appreciation for the casting, because I think the casting is great. Is is great. Uh, here for the casting. I'm here for the diversity in the casting. I, I love it. I'm here for it. Could I mean, I'm all for more people of color absolutely give me more of it you know and we're going in that direction uh zendaya as chani after reading chani absolutely love it tim i mean every single person i've seen casted or when the name would pop up in the reading i would go back over to imdb i go i could see it i could see it so i'm excited for it my speculation and, and I told you this, Laura, because we were talking about, like, where it's going to split. And you're saying you don't know where it's going to split. I think part one, right when Paul, like, says, you know, then I want to be called Moadib to Lady Jessica, like, going into part two. I feel like that can be where it ends. But I, I look to you. You're you're the pro. You're the one who who knows who is more familiar with this. I don't know. Like I don't. I I really don't know. So I feel like I feel like just about like where you are. I feel like it could it could end with um with Stilgar capturing uh Paul and Jessica after they've made their run. You know after um you know Doctor just after the betrayal after. Uh, the Sardaukar come, you know, dressed as Harkonnens and, you know, all of that. Um, it could end there. It could end, it could end with, um, Paul being accepted into the tribe after Jif- <laughs> What? <laughs> the hell? I was just trying to get in contact. Did you see that? <laughs> At this point, I came in and podcast hole crap out of Laura. We will resume after the beep once things had calmed back down. Okay. Okay. So, Sam wrote in the chat, he goes, and it was forwarded from 
from his Jed. Thanks. Now that I've had some coffee, here's an example for Laura. In Dune, the Fremen and the Sardaukar can do what they do because they've been forced to adapt to extremely harsh environments. In the universe we live in, it's not too much of a stretch to say those adaptations are plausible. In contrast, in Lord of the Rings, wizards have their powers just because. There's no rationale. There's no rational cause. It's just a fictional premise of the universe. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's kind of what we've been saying, too. Right. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I don't even remember what you're talking about. Something that we should mention that we haven't is the very powerful litany of fear. I know that is um, Editor Sam's, his dad's like favorite thing is litany of fear. It's like fear is the mind killer. And I I really love that. It's in the trailer. Um you know, it, it it's in everything. It permeates everything. It's like a little mantra that Timothy Chalamet says and that Paul says in the book over and over again. And I feel like it's just this really beautiful kind of thing. It's like I will let it pass over me and through me. And then, you know, when I look back, it'll be in my past. I love it. So, you know, litany of fear. We were talking about and ugh, we were talking about the cast of the new Dune movie. So. We have Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho. And in the book, like, Duncan is not there very long, which makes me sad because I always want to see more Jason Momoa. But that's very... And he's almost kind of clean shaven. Like, he doesn't have this that threw me off. I mean, I know... I mean, he's so recognizable. It's not like I'd be like, ooh, who is that? Uh, But Jason Momoa, man. Ugh. We love it. Um, Oscar Isaac from, you know, Star Wars is going to be Duke Leto Atreides, here for it. Javier Javier Bardem is going to be Stilgar, fantastic. And Josh Brolin is going to be Gurney. And I am so excited to hear Josh Brolin and all, like, the quotations and all of the music and the balisette playing. He's he's going to eat that. So I... I am just so stoked about this. And we have like a little a little story about Rebecca Ferguson. Oh, I mean, it's not really a little story. I just I, we were having the conversation when I realized Rebecca, you know, when we were finding out the the casting, I go, Laura, she goes, what? And I go, we we've met Rebecca Ferguson. She goes, what are you talking about? I go, we went to, you know, and Laura used to live here with me in uh, on the east coast and i go we went to the the mission impossible premiere and we we met a lot of people we were really fortunate we even but we we have a picture with rebecca ferguson was one of the people that we met and she goes oh my gosh yeah and i told her you know and i think we were just having like a general conversation about hollywood because she was clearly the love interest in in mission impossible and now seeing the shift that here she is in this prominent role of lady jessica and and it's a wonderful thing. It's just interesting to see, you know, how your your roles are casted differently based on where your age is. And, you know, that, that's Hollywood and it's not acceptable, but it is what it is um, for now, for now. And I, I, that's a whole different conversation that I don't want to go down. But I just I'm really and that was something that I, I was I liked about this book is that there it was just it was plot and if romance was there there really wasn't romance it was really just established romantic relationships but i i really appreciated that i really i really just appreciated the plot granted there is a lot of it and we keep saying that that there's just like oh my gosh there's so much where do you go um but you know there's just there's always going to be more to dissect and i'm sure we'll have you know 
if the second, you know, when the second movie comes out, we'll probably do a, a, a recap of, you know, what we, what were the takeaways? What were the comparisons? Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot here because clearly we're kind of all over the place, which is fine because that's how the conversation's supposed to go. It's more organic that way than trying to just, what's the point of a podcast for us if we're just going to retell the entire thing, at least with this book. Yeah, and it's impossible with this book. There, There's just like so many nuanced things and so many like like theories that you could go into and, you know, all the religious kind of aspects of it. And, and there's just, there's just so much. Uh, I love Dune. I've, you know, I said it before, I'll say it again. The audio is a comfort audio for me. If you are an audiobook person, I can only recommend the audio. It is beautiful. It is well done. It is just, it puts you like right in the mindset of it. Uh, reading it, of course, though, is absolutely good because you can like acknowledge and like recognize the like names and places and like things. And like, that's very important too. So, um, would recommend, of course, don't be scared of it. Like there, there really isn't any reason to be afraid of this book. It is a lot, but I feel like if, if you kind of approach it the way Jessica did it, you know, space it out, take your time, uh, use like the visuals and clues that there have, you know, go to the wiki, there, there's so much there that you can really form a good picture and kind of um, appreciate it for what it is because, you know, it came out in 65 and they're making a movie about it now. So, like, obviously it resonates with people. Obviously it's important to people. And it's one of those books that has, like, stood the test of time. And we are talking about it in kind of like a new and exciting way, focusing on the women. So I can only imagine like where more conversations uh, will happen when more people are exposed to it. And a couple like words from advice from somebody who this is very new sci-fi to me. If you're going to do the audiobook, as somebody who typically listens at a, at a, a very increased speed, this is a book that I wouldn't go over like one, three at, I mean, you really want to read it at speed. Uh, a second thing of advice that I would give is this is a good tandem, tandem read book. So you have a lighter book that you want to read while also reading this. It kind of just balances it out. So you don't feel like everything's just so heavy and overstimulating almost. I think that was something that was really helpful for me. And also because of the complexity of this book, we're going to have, like, I already started keeping track of all the links. So usually we'll have, like, a link here or, you know, shout outs there in our show notes. This episode, we will have, like, a lot of things that we referenced. I mean, there was there was this really funny YouTube that I sent to you, Laura, that was, like, two minutes long. But it was the perfect, like, in a way, layman's terms to, like, simplify what this book is without really being spoiler heavy because I really don't feel like you get every, you could watch all those synopsis videos and you could still read the book and say, what the F like what, what just happened? So I think that's also really important that you can watch all the Dune explained in five minutes or like Dune synopsis, spoiler free. You're still not going to get what it really truly is about. Well said. Well said. Everyone, listen to Jessica because she... No, don't listen to me. <laughs> I have to listen to Laura. <laughs> yeah, Jess knows what she's talking about because, like, I 
can't. Okay, so just like really briefly, like I remember watching Children of Dune when it was on like the Sci Fi Channel, and I remember telling my dad like I really love this, and then we watched the original movie, and then um, I read the book. Boy, I read the book when I was in high school, maybe, and then I read it again in like twenty fifteen, and then I'm reading it again now, and I kind of like go back and forth with the audio. If I need something to like calm me down, I'll like start it, you know. And I won't finish it because it's like a huge commitment. Um, so I'm like very familiar with it and have been for a long time. But every single time I go back to it, something else really jumps out at me. So, you know, it's one of those books that you can reread and reread and reread and always get something out of and always like kind of click something in your head that maybe you didn't realize before. So can only recommend. So... Give us your thoughts. We're going to be talking about it all week, especially leading up until the premiere this weekend with the movie coming out. I mean, unless they change it again. <laughs> but feel free to follow us on Instagram, Akafe Podcast. You can also find us on TikTok, Akafe Laura and Akafe Jessica. And please feel free to give us a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever um, streaming service that you're listening that gives rating opportunities. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. Bye.